Hello, weary internet travelers, and welcome once again to the Before and After Show. I'm your host, MJ Smith, and if you've never seen the show before, what I do is each week, me and sometimes a guest now, take a film we've never seen before, and we watch it and let you know what we think. So uh, we'll get right into it today. Today I have another guest with me. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, I had a fantastic discussion with my friend Emily Barber about uh, Charlie Chaplin's The Great Dictator in conjunction with the controversy surrounding the interview. Um, We thought it was timely, so we did that. This week I'm joined by my friend uh, Michael Morey, who is a writer, director, actor, lawyer, guy. <laughs> so welcome, Michael, to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, MJ. Thanks for having me here. It's super exciting. Yeah. Um, so b- before we get into what we're going to talk about today, um, do you just want to let people know your background with uh, cinema in general? Sure. So what you'll find is, is that my tastes are actually pretty similar to MJ's, but a little different. Dun, dun, dun. What? Yeah, so um, basically, I don't know. I, I've honestly been involved in film in different aspects for a long time, doing short films with friends ever since I was in junior high, um, writing and directing and poorly acting in all of them. Um, but not just that, like I've always been a big fan of telling stories, which is also weirdly how I became involved as like a lawyer because there's a certain aspect of like weaving a story and convincing people of themes and characters too so a lot of my life has been involved in storytelling i've always been really interested in that aspect and i love like just a really good yarn and um i don't know it's just it's just something like i've been slowly learning to talk about and like gain the words and vocabulary to discuss and i'm looking forward to talking with you about the next film that we're going to watch Cool. Um, you know, you've certainly earned a reputation within our group of friends as Mike doesn't like anything. And I know you're <laughs> going to roll your eyes at that because you hate it. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's not that Mike is just one of the most critically thinking people I know, um, partially because he's a lawyer. Um, but he just likes to take everything he sees and consumes and analyze it. Yeah. Almost more than I do, which is saying something. Um, At the very least, to the same degree I do. And because of that, his tastes are very specific. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as he's thinking about it critically. Like, if Mike doesn't like something that I like, Mm -hmm. I don't take it lightly. Like, you know, I'll have a conversation with him about it and his points are valid. Like, I've never been like, no, you're (laughs) stupid because of this. Like, you don't just say, uh, you don't arbitrarily say, I don't like this thing because yeah. it's stupid. Right. Um, and then, not to mention, it's like, I go into every film, except for like a couple, which I have an axe to grind with, and I should probably drop that. But usually every film, it's like trying to like it. Right. And then on some level, like, I'm, I'm watching it, and I'll be like, this isn't working for me. And then I go backwards, and I try to figure out, like, okay, well, why isn't it working for me? And that's sometimes like a thing that, like, I've discussed with people, they're like, Oh, you're like you're just too critical about things. You like to go and pick things apart, and it's like no. I actually try to like on a base level enjoy or or at least attempt to enjoy something, and then when it doesn't, that's when I go backwards. Or even when I'm enjoying something later, I'll go and be like, so why did I enjoy that? Yeah, it's like not like I'm just constantly thinking about it while I'm watching. It's just yeah. like I have a gut reaction, and then I try to figure out what that gut reaction is. Right. Um, yeah, I agree. Uh, like you said, with the exception of a couple of movies, like yeah. I feel like if you saw the new Hobbit, you would just like. 
It would just be like grumble, grumble. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was pretty much the reason why I avoided watching the third one. Even if I had an opportunity to watch it for free, which I did, I still turned it down. Yeah, because I was like, not today. Yeah, that was a that was a good choice, actually. Yeah, and I, I liked the right. first two. So, <laughs> oh dang. Okay. Yeah, man, that movie was. Cr- uh, yeah, the- I saw the second one, and honestly, I was just like, I don't care. <laughs> the uh, the text message. I got was so i saw the hobbit 2 last night good <laughs> lord someone get peter jackson an editor <laughs> yeah he has a problem <laughs> yeah and you i mean you have problems even with the, the original lord of the rings trilogy yeah. so it can't like there's yeah. no way those are being fixed in this one no i mean honestly i i honestly do think that the original trilogy is good but I think he's gotten steadily worse with each film he's done <laughs> since Fellowship. I think Fellowship was the high point. Then Two Towers was decent. And then Return of the King was kind of like the point where I was like, I don't know about this guy. And then Hobbit movies, holy crap, I've been touching them. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, outside of something like that where you certainly have a... Uh... A predisposition to not liking right, it. Right, yeah. Um, sometimes with good reason. Uh, sometimes, you know, <laughs> yeah. I would argue until the third Hobbit without, um, yeah. you know, uh, yeah, you, you don't, like, get in there and be like, what can I dislike about this movie? Right, yeah. And, like, you'll, you're the first person I know to admit that you do like things when you like them. Like, you liked Guardians of the Galaxy, mm-hmm. and you're pretty heavy, like, critical yeah. on the Marvel movies, and you oh, like that movie yeah. a lot. Yeah, no. The, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy and the most recent Captain America movie were both movies that I was like, okay, finally Marvel has earned, like, its right to be, like, discussed. Because yeah. they were actually both enjoyable movies. I finally felt like I was, like, in a position where... I understood why other people liked their movies because I finally felt like those reached the, the, the heights that other people were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And I like the Marvel movies, but Captain America specifically is hands down the best movie they've done. Oh, yeah. They've totally. done. You actually liked Guardians more than I did. I didn't like Guardians of the Galaxy very much. Yeah. I'm, I didn't like it as much as most people still, mm-hmm. but it was like a point where I was like, you know what? They're taking risks with this stuff. Um it's like it wasn't a cookie cutter Marvel movie up until around the third act, and then it became a cookie cutter Marvel movie. Yeah, it's like here's a box. Everyone wants the box. Yeah, everyone wants the box, and and the city slash building slash whatever is going to be destroyed unless we save it. And, yeah, you know, whatever. But so um, before we get into uh, the film we're watching this week, which is based on the uh, episode title, Lawrence of Arabia. Did you watch anything over the last week or two that you would like to talk about? Yeah. Uh, so I've seen a couple movies over this winter break season. Um, one of them is Edge of Tomorrow, mm-hmm. a.k.a. Groundhog Day with Aliens. A.k.a. Live, Die, Repeat, colon, Edge of Tomorrow. Yes. A.k.a. Live, Die, Repeat, <laughs> a.k.a. Tom Cruise in Live, Die, Repeat, colon, Edge of Tomorrow. <laughs> I know the... In case you don't get the joke, like they tried to go and basically rebrand this movie because it failed, and yeah. so now it's kind of known as "Live Period Die Period Repeat Period um, Edge of Tomorrow." And I guess they're thinking that the title was one of the reasons that people just kind of thought it was forgettable. Well, I think what happened is the trailer used those words in gigantic lettering <laughs> yeah. over and over, so everyone thought that was the name of the movie, and then it came out under the name "Edge of Tomorrow," and everyone was like, "What, what? the hell is this?" Yeah. So they tried to rebrand it for DVD. I don't know how well it's doing, but I liked that movie a lot, actually. I think it was a really solidly made movie. Like, you know, doing that kind of repetitive, in case you don't know the the, uh, conception behind it, like Tom Cruise's character goes and relives the same day in this invasion by aliens or something, and... 
he has to go and like figure out why he relives the same day. It did that concept really well because there's a potential for doing that kind of repetitiveness wrong and making it extremely boring. Have to go and relive the same kind of moments and beats over and over again. Yeah. I think one of the things that the movie that lent itself to that really well was they never told you that it wasn't it wasn't consecutive like sometimes yeah. they played around with like okay this is him doing it like six days in a row yeah and then it would jump like oh this is months later right yeah this I, is after his like 120th time and you, you didn't know that yeah and, and so i think that helped it a lot because you it was always new yes. whenever that happened and right. so like that's a, a case where not filling the audience in really worked to its advantage yeah as far as keeping them invested in the movie. Yeah, and like they could go and reveal some really interesting like plot developments because it's like you thought, oh, this is only the third time I watched him relive this day. But then surprisingly, he's like lived this 500 times and then he would go and bring out some twist. He's like, he knew something and the audience didn't know it. So it was actually a way of withholding information from the audience and like allowing shock and surprise and character development. Right. Like you understood like why he was making certain actions then later. Right. And it was really interesting um, viewing that movie through Emily Blunt's eyes. Yeah. Um, you know, she's the catalyst for the audience to mm. to go through that movie. And I, I obviously came to that realization pretty late in the movie because you come to that realization pretty late in the movie yeah. when you see it the first time. I'd like to go back and watch it again through that filter. Yeah. And I think it would be pretty interesting to do that. Like, it's 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 a movie that's worth seeing a couple times. Yeah. Um, I thought I, I like Tom Cruise. I think I'm one of the only people left I, that still likes that guy. I actually dig him too. I think that he puts in solid work every single time he makes a movie. Yeah, I do too. Um, I thought the action was pretty well shot. Yeah, like, I agree. It, it looked like a cool video game. Yeah, and like that's not a criticism. No, Most times when you say, "Oh, the movie it's, looked like a video game," mm-hmm. it's a total criticism. But this one, it completely worked because it felt like someone playing a video game. Like it felt like, you know. You lost a life in a video game, so he restarted the game. Yeah. Like that's that was the whole concept of the movie. Yeah, without um, the tediousness of it. Yeah, the tedium. Yeah, yeah. It didn't feel like you were watching every playthrough of the video <laughs> yeah, game. Yeah, all the way through. It was like it got to the major character beats and like important plot points like in due time, which right. was great. Uh, so yeah, it was a solid movie. I definitely recommend it. The one thing that I thought was kind of weak was like toward the end of the movie, the last act or so kind of actually loses a lot of tension. I won't yeah. say why, but yeah. like there's something that happens that like weirdly somebody becomes a lot more vulnerable and you're supposed to think that like, oh no, the stakes are, have been risen. But now you're kind of like, no, now this character has plot immunity. So <laughs> yeah. like it kind of didn't work the way they intended, but yeah. it was like a really good movie actually. Yeah. It was one of the better summer action movies. Yeah, I, it was It was up there for me um, as far as... as one of the favorites of the summer. I think my favorite was probably Planet of the Apes, mm-hmm. followed by okay. Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah. Um, I will say that the the end actually worked for me. I'm not going to spoil the ending to the movie, yeah. but I was fully prepared to be like super mad about the way this movie ended. <laughs> yeah. And like it ended the way I thought it was going to, but the way they got a the, the way they got around it yeah. was actually pretty creative. And so I was like, well done, movie. Because yeah. you did definitely that. earned it. Yeah, it definitely earned the ending it had. Yeah. So yeah, I thought Edge of Tomorrow was good. Yeah. Um anything else? I went and I saw Thief last night, which was Michael Mann, who's the guy behind Heat, and then there's also a movie that's coming out in the next week or two. Black Hat? Black Hat, or whatever. And so I've been in the mood to watch um, some Michael Mann stuff. I haven't seen Heat, actually. 
So I'm kind of like leading really up to good. it. Yeah, I need yeah. to watch it. Um, but Michael Mann made this movie in 1981 called Thief. And it's surprisingly about a criminal. So, yeah, a Michael Mann movie that's about a criminal. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty rare occurrence. <laughs> um in, it's like, in typical man style, it's kind of slow. It takes a while to get to the point, but it's very moody. Does like, it take place in typical man style? Yes. Does it take place in L.A.? Yes. Of course. Yeah, it does. And it deals with a thief on like his last job, and he's kind of dealing with competing factions and stuff like that. Oh, that sounds really cool. I uh, didn't know that's what that was about. The soundtrack is done by Tangerine Dream. What? Yeah. That's um, awesome. Right. And so Tangerine Dream's like this electronic group or whatever, and they've been making scores for movies since the 1980s, but then they also more recently did the score to Grand Theft Auto V, yeah. which was really good. Yeah. Um, and this add like an incredible amount of like mood and tension to scenes that like are well shot, but like they just elevate it to another level. So huh. that, Michael Mann like nailed it in picking that. He always has good music choices in yeah, general. Yeah, I think so um, too. But it was good. I enjoyed it. You know, it's a little predictable, but the the kind of neo noirish uh-huh. like aspect of it was was really solid, and I enjoyed it. Yeah, I I've not seen that movie, mm-hmm. but um, back in July of last year, yeah. We, uh, Barnes and Noble had a 50% off sale on their Criterion Collection Blu-rays and I went crazy and bought a bunch of movies. <laughs> and that was one I kept coming back to because I just like the cover interested me a lot. Like yeah. the cover of the Criterion Blu-ray yeah. is really cool. Like it's, it's just this shot of James, James Con in a jacket, but he looks like uneasy and he's like looking over his shoulder, like he's expecting something yeah. and he's like kind of off to the like the right third of the frame yeah. and you're just like Man, what's going on on that yeah. cover like it looks really interesting yeah it's shot really well and it's uh like that kind of shot like is very representative of it like his character is just kind of off mm-hmm. like like he's seen some things like he went to prison he's yeah. like a, you know he's like a hard criminal and James Conn played it really well and like and the shots and the the, ch- the choosing of like some of the framing is great because it just goes and lends that uneasiness of his yeah. existence and now a lot of other movies kind of emulate that style but I, there wasn't a lot of that kind of shot selection there's like a lot of off-centeredness like, oh, okay. or, or like un- unorthodox shot selection in that mm-hmm. movie that has kind of disappeared until more recently and it wasn't being chosen in 1980 like those right. kind of shot selections right so um, it was a really interesting movie I would definitely recommend watching yeah, it yeah I think his movies are always super well shot like yeah. Collateral looks amazing mm-hmm. um, I like that movie a lot that's yeah. probably my favorite Michael Mann movie yeah I haven't really seen all of it I've just seen bits and pieces of mm-hmm. it so I need to check that out yeah that movie is really good um heat is super well shot public enemies isn't that good of a movie Mm -hmm. but it's super well shot there's some really well crafted sequences in that movie yeah i need to go and watch that too i saw his i think second film manhunter which is like the first movie in the hannibal movies yeah i haven't seen that yeah it was actually really good really i liked it more he got like better from his first one actually Mm -hmm. and it once again has that same sense of mood and uh, the guy who plays Grissom in CSI, the original CSI, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's the main character in that. He's like a forensic detective or whatever for the FBI, I think, chasing down like a serial killer. Mm-hmm. And he actually puts in a really great performance. Yeah, like, William Peterson is yes, that guy's name. thank you. Uh, I'm trying to think of it. Um, he, like, to me, and I think my, most of my generation, we just kind of watch him in CSI and like, yeah. whatever, he's yeah, a yeah. CSI guy. But, yeah. Like, he was really good in that movie. And I oh. guess he, like, studied, like, 
serial killings and stuff like that because his character is kind of this guy who's retired kind of cliche because he had like a really big case and it stressed him the heck out uh, okay. and because like dealing with serial killers like really warped him uh-huh. and so he's like really kind of battling like his impulse not to go crazy fighting really bad people because mm-hmm. he's trying to get into their minds right right um but I guess William Peterson himself kind of got depressed after this movie because it took such a toll on him because he did a lot of research on yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, and so he did a really good job in that film. Huh. So I definitely recommend checking it out. Yeah, I've never seen that. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to because that's adapted from Red Dragon, actually, yeah. which yes. they remade as Red Dragon. Dragon. Um, I always forget that he directed that movie. Yeah, it's um, kind of forgotten about. Yeah. Like, it's it's not... I feel like that movie is just, like, this weird piece of trivia within the greater Silence of the Lambs yeah, franchise. Yeah, where like, it's just like, oh, yeah, they tried this once before. Right, and Anthony Hopkins wasn't Hannibal Lecter, so nobody kind of cares. Although, yeah. Although, uh, who's the guy who did it? I I'm get, trying to remember. Yeah, I, we'll, uh, we'll get back to it in a second. Yeah. He does actually a really good job, but he's not that, like, a major of a part of it. He's, like, maybe in one scene or two Oh, really? Scenes. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So, um, in general, I I kind of dig man, and I've been trying to get into his actual, like, acclaimed stuff. So, I'm going to get back to that. Eventually. Yeah. But anyway, um, that's the stuff that I've been watching. Brian Cox. Yo, yeah. Brian oh, Cox. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. He's actually really good. What an interesting choice for Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. Uh, he's almost as good as Anthony Hopkins. Really? Honestly. Yeah. Like, that's in awesome. the few scenes that he's in, he, mm-hmm. like, steals them. Huh. Yeah. So, anyway, that's what I've been up to. Cool. Um, yeah, I didn't... I guess I did watch a bunch of stuff uh, recently. I already talked about the interview, so I saw that. Um, I also saw Mark Wahlberg, the Gambler yeah. movie. Um, it was fine. Yeah. Uh, I've seen better movies. I've seen worse movies. He's pretty good in it. He's a guy that... I don't want to say that I've done like a 180 on him and we'll like watch everything he's in the way I'll like seek out a Channing Tatum movie now. Right. But he's, I move, I've warmed up to that guy a lot more yeah. recently mm-hmm. with the exception of Transformers. Yeah. Like it's, <laughs> it, he's a weird guy. Cause like he goes back and forth to like doing these really interesting movies like the fighter yeah. or, um, pain and gain. I don't know if you saw pain and gain. No, I haven't. Ooh, he was weird. Yeah. Uh, but like, he's pretty good in it. Yeah. And he'll he'll do stuff like that, and then he'll go and do a Transformer, and you're like, what the f, man? Uh, like, hey, Mark Wahlberg got to eat. That's the way I approach it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hey, Optimus Prime, how you doing? <laughs> Say hi to your mother for me. Um, Mark Wahlberg's pretty good in it. He's not he's not all Mark Wahlberg in it. Like he's not like, hey, how you doing? How's it going? How you doing? What's going on? Is everything okay? He's not that guy in this movie. He's just like this. He's just like a, a pretentious guy, and yeah. like that character is supposed to be super pretentious, so it's it's fine. My biggest complaint about the movie is, you know, going into it, I think I had mentioned this to you. We saw the poster when we went to see Interstellar, and I was like, Mark Wahlberg in this worked for McConaughey because he <laughs> lost sixty one pounds for that movie. Mm-hmm. And originally, I thought he was an alcoholic literature professor professor that had AIDS or something. Like, that's what I thought the plot of the movie was. I had no idea it was a guy who was a gambling addict. Yeah. I don't know why he lost the weight. <laughs> really? Yeah, there's no reason for it. The only thing I could think is was this weird character choice where he was saying, this guy's so entrenched in his addiction that he only eats to survive. So he only oh. eats, like, the minimal amount okay. required for him to survive. But, like... 
they never touch on that. Mm-hmm. So that's just me completely reading into it. Yeah. It, well, and also maybe the fact that he just won an Oscar really, yeah. really badly. Yeah. That's exactly <laughs> like it. It felt more like this worked for McConaughey than even I said when we saw the poster for yeah. it. So it's not an Oscar-worthy movie at mm-hmm. all. Uh, there's some interesting turns in it. It's a really good depiction of addiction. Yeah. Um, especially to something that's not alcohol or drugs. Like, I feel like it's hard to depict uh, addiction to something that's not one of those things in yeah. movies because they're not as, like, it's publicly not... talked about. Right, Like, yeah. they're, they're not as, <clears throat> as prevalent. Uh, like, a gambling yeah. addiction isn't... You know, I don't know anyone who's a gambling addict. Right. I've known people who are drug addicts and alcoholics. Yeah, it's not like uh, as uh, accepted as an addiction as some of those yeah. things are to as a vice. I yeah. think that's kind of part of the problem. Yeah. Maybe. But yeah, it's an interesting subject matter. Yeah. I, I'd, I'd watch it down the line. But. Yeah, John Goodman is incredible in it. He's got three scenes in it and they're all fantastic because mm-hmm. John Goodman's the best and he should be everyone's father. Is how <laughs> I feel about that guy. Yeah. Um, but it's overall relatively forgettable, but okay. you know, not, not unworthy of seeing mm-hmm. if you're interested in seeing it. Yeah. And then I also saw Neighbors with Seth Rogen and Zac Efron. Oh, okay. I was entertained by it. Yeah. Um, it was really easy to watch in the sense that, you know, it's not, you know, it's not a hard hitting drama or anything. Yeah. But Zac Efron's really good in it. Hmm. I like that kid. Hmm. I'm pretty sure I like that kid. Okay. Every time I see him in something, I'm like, I like you a lot. Like, I thought he was good <laughs> in 17 again. I don't know yeah. if you saw that. No, I haven't. Um, I thought that movie was really funny, and he was a lot of the reason why. I thought Neighbors was really good, mostly because of him. Hmm. Like, Seth Rogen's just doing a Seth Rogen thing, so you'll know right off the bat whether or not you'll like that. Okay, like, yeah. You well, know. I mean, he been, he was, like, excellent in the high school musical movies. I'm joking. Seth, Seth Rogen? <laughs> no, Zach. <laughs> um, so, I mean, based on that, based on like who's in it, you're going to know if you like it because okay. it's very, you know, Seth Rogen y. Like, he, he puts his spin on everything he's in. Like, yeah. if, if he's in it, you know whether what to expect from it. Yeah. But Zach Efron plays this character, like, kind of complex. Like, hmm. he's. Really, he's not like just kind of a frat bro. No, he's the senior that. The reason he's like at odds with Seth Rogen's character is because he d- he's afraid of becoming that guy, like oh. the old guy that's still yeah. trying to act young. Okay, like he's a, it's not super well played out. Like yeah. it's a theme they touch on through the dialogue. Like they basically look in the camera and say whatever your character's name is, you're afraid of becoming this. <laughs> yeah, it's not like subtly done. Right, it's not super subtle, but the way he plays it is really well done. Like, he plays it pretty subtly, and uh, before the movie even spells it out for you... Yeah, his, like, actions going Yeah, you can back. tell that that's, that's what's going on huh, with him. So, actually acting. Yeah, huh. yeah. It actually... <laughs> I, I looked at my fiancé after... We watched this movie and I said, if this movie came out in 1987, Tom Cruise would have been that character. Yeah, I could see that. He would have been Tom Cruise. like, And I'm super interested to see if he's got that kind of trajectory because I think he could be. Yeah, well, He makes interesting choices as far as his projects lately. So, yeah. Well, I mean, he was being floated around for a while with Star Wars and stuff. Like, really? Yeah. I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, like he's one of the main characters. And at that time I was like, oh God, no. But yeah. <laughs> now, I mean, with that kind of cred under his belt, maybe he's beginning to like develop as an actor you know? yeah he also was in this movie called the paperboy with uh, mcconaughey was in that i think it's one of those indies that mcconaughey did like right at the beginning of the mcconaissance yeah. like to sort of get cred again yeah um i didn't like it i turned it off but 
he was good in it. Him and McConaughey were the only two good things in that movie. You would, you would say that they were all right, all right, all right. They were all right, all right, all right. <laughs> um, and then he was also in My Week with Marilyn, um, movie about Marilyn Monroe. I don't know in what capacity, but uh-huh. that's a weird choice for that guy to yeah. be in like this indie drama about Marilyn Monroe. Like mm-hmm. he does really interesting stuff, and so I'm just I, like every time he pops up in something, I'm like what? Are you, what are you about? Like I feel like I'm trying to figure that guy out. <laughs> Based on what he pops up in. A little bit of intrigue, mystery. Okay. Yeah. So it was, I don't know, the movie itself was whatever. It was entertaining and funny, but only entertaining and funny if you like Seth Rogen and his kind of stuff. Okay. If you don't, then you're not going to like it. Cool. But, um, <clears throat> so that's what we watched this week. Yeah. The reason we're here is to talk about what we're going to watch. Right. Uh, soon. It only took us 37 minutes to get there. Yay. <laughs> that's good. Um, I was actually expecting it to be longer than that. So. <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh, this week we're going to be watching, I would say probably one of the all-time classics. Like, yeah, most I mean, acclaimed movies ever. Yeah. Uh, we're we're going to take on Lawrence of Arabia, and I'm not sure why. Um, <laughs> well, 222 minutes of it. What? what? So we're watching the director's cut <laughs> yeah. of this movie, which uh, the, the theatrical cut is only about four minutes shorter. So we're not, you know, we're not getting into Lord of the Rings director's <laughs> cut territory. So I'm not too worried about it now. Yeah. Um, it's a movie that stars Peter O'Toole as Lawrence of Arabia. And it's very much rooted in, uh, in history. It's, uh what year is it do you know what year it takes place in i don't know early okay. 20th century early yeah early 20 early 20th century um and it's just i mean it's <clears throat> it's one of the movies that when the word epic comes up or sprawling epic i should mm-hmm. say when that comes up it it uh it's kind of at the top of the list and oh, by the way, it takes place World War One. Duh. So oh, yeah. so okay, early twentieth, early twentieth century. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Um. Yeah. So it's it's a true story, obviously, and it's considered one of the best performances of all time by Peter O'Toole. Mm-hmm. It's considered uh, one of the best looking movies of all time, as far as the cinematography goes. Yes, and the Blu-ray transfer is awesome. Really they did a good job with it. Yeah. yeah I've, um, I've seen pictures and stills and stuff. It's well done. And then it's also, and I think we're going to talk very heavily about this after we watch the movie. Yeah. At least I would like to. It's considered one of the best edited movies in history. The editing in it is supposed to be incredible. All right. Um, Specifically, there's there's a shot when you take a class and they go over editing. Mm Mm-hmm. It's sort of like the editing equivalent of that scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark where the guy's got the sword and uh, Indy just pulls out his gun and shoots the guy. And how unscripted that was, or I love you, I know. Yeah. That kind of thing. Um, they miscut something in this movie, and it's one of the greatest edits in movie history. Huh. There's a scene where a character lights a match, yeah. and the movie was supposed to... It zooms in on the match burning, and then it was supposed to fade into like the desert with the sun in the sky. Yeah. And they did a hard cut instead. It didn't dissolve. It just... like. Here's a shot of the match. Yeah. Boom. Here's a shot of the desert. Like a jump cut. Yeah. yeah. And so it's just like really jarring. Uh-huh. But it like the way that he they framed the match, mm-hmm. it lines up perfectly with the sun. So it just looks like out of nowhere it became the sun. That's cool. Yeah. It's a really cool shot. Yeah. Um, and like the editing. And that was just unintentional. Like mm-hmm. that. <laughs> I think they re- either ran out of length of film to <clears throat> do a dissolve or they got confused and, and just didn't dissolve it. 
instead, but it played so much better than they thought it was going to for doing uh, a dissolve. Yeah. And so, it, it, like, it, it, editing people look at it as one of my all-time greats. Like, everyone looks at this movie as, you know, yeah, one of the, the pariahs of... Is pariah the right word? No. No. Paragon. Paragon. There we go. <laughs> I was like, pariah seems bad. Um, yeah, one of the paragons of cinema history. Yeah. Um, it was directed by David Lean, who also directed um, Bridge on the River Kwai, yeah. The Greatest Story Ever Told, and mm-hmm. Dr. Zhivago. Yes. So this guy is not a, a stranger to the epic story. No, not at all. <laughs> um, have you seen any of those other movies? I've seen parts of... Uh, Dr. Zhivago, and I've seen all of the Bridge on the River Kwai. Um, and that one's good. I mean, I it wasn't my type of movie, but I can see why it was acclaimed. Uh, uh-huh. But it's just a very different movie, and I wasn't in the mood at that time. And also, I was, like, in high school, so I probably couldn't really appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, but I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to the kind of technical discussions we can have about the mechanics of film and storytelling and shots and, and uh, directing with this. I mean, we haven't really gotten too much into that in this episode, but right. we're going to have like a good discussion, I feel like, with this movie. Yeah. Um, you know, this movie came out in 1962, and I think that'll be something to keep in mind while we're watching it. Like, this stuff was a lot harder to pull off in 1962 yeah. than it is now. Like, you know, I think we take that for granted a lot now, where it's like, oh, yeah, of course they can do that. Like, they can do anything now. Right. But you couldn't do anything in 1962. <laughs> and so so the fact that this movie looks as great as it does is, mm-hmm. and holds up to look as great as it does yeah. um, is pretty, you know, uh, indicative of its status as uh, a classic. Yeah. And it, <clears throat> I mean, it's one of those ones that in film circles you keep coming back to, like, even the most pretentious of film nerds loves this movie. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, it runs the gamut as far as people who enjoy this movie. Like, it's the kind of the ultimate dad movie. Like, yeah. <laughs> dads love this movie. Actually, a lot. the Blu-ray that you're looking at was a gift for Father's Day. So, <laughs> there you go. Yep. Um, um, but I know my boss at my, my night job, it's his favorite movie of all time. Mm. And he's, you know, his tastes are not dad movie tastes at yeah. all, but it's still his favorite movie. Yeah. I think it's up there with sort of, say, Dr. Zhivago is another one. Mm. Um, Seven Samurai, that, that kind of stuff. Like these sprawling epics. Right. Like this capture like a time period, you know. Yeah. Uh, and the change and upheaval that happens during it. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure what to expect out of this. I am... Very much looking forward to Peter O'Toole's performance. It's okay. supposed to be one of the, the best performances of all time. Yeah. Well, actually, spoiler, I actually have seen this, but it was a long time ago, and I might have slept through part of it. Uh, and so, like, he is good in it. Okay. But, like, not in a showy way. Right. You know, he's not, like, trying to, like, I'm acting. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, like, the Meryl Streep's of the world. He yeah. Is honestly overrated. But yeah. anyway... We'll yeah, and I think part. a lot of that has to deal with going from the stage to the screen. Yeah. Um, you have to act that way when you're on stage. And he, I don't know a lot about Peter O'Toole, but I can't imagine he wouldn't have been a theater actor mm-hmm. before being in this movie. Yeah. Um, this was sort of a breakout uh, performance for him. I don't know if it was his first performance or or what on film but it's it's the one that put him on the map like that's the one that established him as like oh get that guy yeah for movies since then and i'm not actually too familiar with any peter o'toole movies no me either actually 
Yeah. All I know him really as is the piercing blue eyes guy. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> Sorry. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I kind of know what to expect. And I'll tell you, sand. And I don't like sand. It's coarse and rough and irritating and gets all over the place. Okay. You think Sand's going to come out of the movie? <laughs> I, uh, I was you actually know making a... an episode two quote. <laughs> oh, I don't remember that. Okay, it's the much maligned uh, Anakin Skywalker quote that everybody hates from that movie. But... Oh, I thought the one that everyone hated was, uh, I killed them, I killed them all. Oh, no. well, some people are like, why does she go and like a murderer? And so people yeah. don't like that thing, that's true. But yeah, I actually kind of like dig that scene. Anyway, we can get into that some other time. Yeah, um, so I'm going to go ahead and read the back of the, uh, the the Blu-ray here in the smallest font that they could possibly find to put on the back. It says, winner of seven Academy Awards, including Best Picture of 1962, Lawrence of Arabia stands as one of the most timeless and essential motion picture masterpieces. The greatest achievement of its legendary Oscar-winning director, David Lean, the film stars Peter O'Toole in his career-making performance, as T.E. Lawrence, the audacious World War I British Army officer who heroically united rival Arab desert tribes and led them to war against the mighty Turkish Empire. Newly restored and remastered at 4K resolution, the massive scope and epic action of the director's cut of Lawrence of Arabia can now be experienced like never before in this landmark 50th anniversary edition. It's saying something, I think, that it's got a 50th anniversary edition on Blu-ray that has a crazy restoration. Like, that's yeah. how you know it's one of the the enduring great mm-hmm. uh, movies of all time. So, I'm... Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to like this or not. Like, I can get pretty yeah. over-epics pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, mainly, I don't know if it's this AD, ADD, you know, uh, millennial sensibility that I have. I'd, I'd like to think it's not. Yeah. But... Anytime a movie is over three hours, and this is well over three hours, <laughs> I'm just like, what? Why? Yeah, like, like wh- what? What kind of story are you gonna tell that requires this? <laughs> yeah, like I can't see a movie not being two hours, two and a half max. Yeah. Um. So I, I don't know. I, I'm really like at a loss for words on my expectations for yeah. this one. I. I don't know how you're going to react to it. I'm interested to see. We're going to have a good talk, I think, after we're done with this. We actually might need to have a talk midway through the movie. Yeah. yeah. We'll have a before, midway, and after. <laughs> um, I, uh, I did see um, Ben-Hur last year, and uh-huh. that's about the same runtime. Yeah. And the movie's incredible. Like, yeah. if you've never seen Ben-Hur, you should go watch Ben-Hur. Yeah. It's... I think it's right around the three and a half hour mark as well. And I can't think of a single non-essential scene in that movie. Yeah. So this is also from a different era of filmmaking. Like, yeah, I think people use their time a lot better. I agree. I think that, well, they were coming from like a different kind of sensibility when it came to screenwriting too, which is like, they're being influenced by the great like playwrights and, and the sense that like, Every scene is essential. They weren't concerned about like a set piece action battle yeah. or whatever. I'm like, let's go and move things to that. And then everything else is kind of unessential. It's like, right. oh, we need fluff. So let's go and have a dialogue scene. It wasn't like that. They're coming from a different writing standpoint. That and movies were playing on one screen theaters at a time. Like the multiplex really wasn't a thing at this point, I believe. I could yeah. be wrong on that. But I, I, don't, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. So... You know, you didn't have a choice of what movie you went to see that weekend. You just yeah. kind of got whatever was playing, and they wanted you to be able to have a night out. Like, yeah. it felt like a night yeah. that you had out. Like, it was an experience because it's, you know, three and a half hours. Like, 
you got your money's worth out mm-hmm. of it because you were going to like an experience. And right. now I think the movie theater experience is pretty throwaway for a lot of people. Yeah. So, you know, you just kind of have anywhere from 14 to 22 choices, depending on what theater you're going to. Yeah. And you choose out of those and That's go it. see it. And then you can go see another one immediately after because right. the movies are only an hour and a half now. Yeah. So well, there's that. And there's also just, you know, this sense of, history and, and epic that most movies don't try to even bother to encapsulate anymore yeah. and so spending time in that place was something that's like a novel concept and like and that was interesting nowadays right. like we don't care about watching three and a half hours on a desert we just kind of don't yeah like, we're not into that we'd rather go and watch cg zeros and ones clash on yeah. an imaginary field that was built on somebody's computer and this is different yeah that's true i think there's gonna be like a sense of tangibility to this movie because yeah. they couldn't do cg like, right it's, they had sanding. to go to the middle of the desert yeah, and, and spend time in all the sand yeah <laughs> it uh, there's like a like a worn in look to it which is great yeah um and this is something i'm definitely looking forward to talking about in the after show which is just how we've kind of lost uh, that sense of like movies that dealt with history and epics mm. and I, mean, I have a theory that's mostly just because like American education is crappy and so most people don't have an appreciation for history mm-hmm. it's boring but like people from our father's generations yeah. and even further back they watched movies that like were about Rome and Greece mm-hmm. and you know like period pieces and they didn't have some like massive they didn't need to have a battle. They only had one battle in the entire movie. Right. But like it mattered and it was important to the character development. Right. And, and they and they actually knew the battles that were taking place because they were based on history. And most people don't even know like a battle in World War II. You yeah. Know? And so I'm looking forward to talking about that eventually. Yeah. I'm yeah. Save I, it for that. Yeah. I'm going to save it for that as well. But I, um, you know, there are certain guys out there trying to preserve it in like yeah. a weird way. Ridley Scott being the first name that comes to yes. mind. Um, you know, Gladiator works, Robin Hood doesn't, you know, yeah. that, that kind of stuff. Um, Exodus kind of works. Like, mm. I'd say the progression is like Gladiator, Exodus, and Robin Hood. Um, but, you know, I, I, he's part of that generation, though. Like, he's yes. he had to have been inspired by Lawrence of Arabia. There's exactly. no way yeah. that he, ha- he wasn't based right. on the school of filmmaking he's from, mm-hmm. the generation of filmmakers he's from, uh, you know, directly um, was affected by this movie. And I'd say... There's still a couple guys out there. I'd say Nolan probably. This movie had a little bit of influence on him. Yeah, well, actually, apparently he, like, had thought that Dr. Zhivago had some sort of influence on Dark Knight Rises. Oh, yeah! Like, upheaval of the time. Yeah, that's right. Dark Knight Rises doesn't do enough with it. Right. He also called that, like, a tale of two cities. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I honestly wish that that aspect of the film had been more emphasized in the final product of Dark Knight Rises. I kind of feel like a lot of that got cut out as they started to edit the script. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, I think Nolan also comes from this kind of era of of thinking, or, you know, he's influenced by that era of thinking of of historical kind of epics. Yeah. I mean, he seems like a guy who would like bad movies. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Totally. Yeah, so there, there is, like, stuff like that happening right mm-hmm. now but we'll talk more about that on the after show yeah so overall what are you expecting from this movie uh i'm just expecting to i won't be like it's not exciting it's not mm-hmm. but like i'm expecting to like just be entertained and like invested in like this world you know and right. so and, and like and watching this character develop like in a three hours is a lot of time to watch somebody do something 
Right. Uh, it's not like some sort of like intermittent like skirmish or whatever with a character. You actually really get to thoroughly examine a character. So he does Got a really it. good job in this movie. Got it. Yeah, I'm I'm expecting to at the very least like the character and the performances. Um, you know, it'll be interesting having to remind myself like, oh yeah, there's a guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I the accuracy of it is yeah, I'm sure dubious, but right. You know, it's still a story about a person who existed in in history that I don't know anything about. Yeah, like I don't know anything about this, the real events surrounding this. Mm-hmm. Like, I have no idea what what to expect really as right. far as that goes. But I'm really looking forward to the performance. I'm looking forward to looking at this movie. Yes, I think it's going to look <laughs> incredible. Yeah, um, I really like sweeping desert shots. Yes. A lot. Um, You're going to get that. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen a movie called The Fall. Mm -hmm. That movie has some sweeping desert shots that are awesome. Okay. One of them was my desktop background for a long time. Um, I've made them my cover photos on Facebook. Like, there's some awesome desert cinematography in that movie. I'm gonna investigate this movie later. Yeah. I think you would like it. Okay, that's a separate conversation, but yeah. I think you should you should check that movie out. Well, it's interesting. Something else I think will be interesting, and I mean, I don't think we need to go too much into politics or anything like that, but it'll be interesting to see like how the 1960s view of the Middle East was in comparison yeah. to today, and you know we can avoid like being really political about anything, but it'll right. just be interesting to see the conception and perception of things. Right, yeah, I mean, you know, it's obviously an area of the world where there was conflict, but not conflict the way we have now necessarily. Yeah. Like, it doesn't directly affect American politics no. in, this, in 1962 the way it does now. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I think that that will be interesting. Yeah, but actually, I mean, because of World War One and the way that they went and partitioned land and stuff like that, that's kind of led to you know some some kind of ethnic conflicts. I mean, right. not, so it'll be interesting to see like the genesis of how even people in the 1960s were beginning to perceive things in World War One and how that affected them. And now we have another like time capsule on top of that with this yeah, movie. That's true. So, and uh, this is this is post World War Two, obviously, yeah. but pre Vietnam. Uh, sixty two. Sixty two. Yeah. Yeah, because Vietnam was sixty five, sixty six. Yeah, right around there. Yeah. So this isn't like a cynical uh, war movie the way a lot of post Vietnam right. war movies are up until I would argue up until Saving Private Ryan. Uh, I would say even continuing. Well, oh yeah, I, would I don't say. think they've even gotten out of that stage. Of oh no, they war haven't. is hell. Like that's like the theme of every like war movie nowadays. And yeah. Not to say that it isn't or to belittle any of that, but right. It, there's a very particular kind of nihilism that's present yes. in war movies that wasn't present like pre-Vietnam. Right. Um, but right. Anyway, and so this is a that. this is sort of a pre-Vietnam war movie, so it won't have that, yeah. really. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's uh, Lawrence of Arabia. Do you have any closing thoughts? No, I'd like to thank you for having me here. And, yep. you know, thanks for listening to me, everybody. I appreciate oh, it. Crap. Oh, crap. We can't sign off yet. Oh, that's right. Um, <laughs> So the reason Mike is here to begin with is because you heard him uh, at the beginning of this episode talk about how he writes and directs and, quote, poorly acts in movies. (laughs) Mike has a movie coming out very soon. That's right. That I'm in. Yeah. But we'll get to that in a second. Uh, Do you want to tell people what's what's up with that? Actually, it's it's hard to go and describe this movie in some ways. This is kind of sometimes a problem, but... um, like uh, it's tell, a sequel to a bunch of movies you've never seen. Yeah, more or less. <laughs> but like, 
as you might be able to tell the reason why I didn't even talk about it the first time is I don't really like promoting myself or anything, even though it's kind of partially the reason why I'm here. Yeah, that's totally so, the reason why you're here um, at this time. <laughs> but um, I made this uh, short film with, with several friends, including MJ, my brother, and others, and it's called The Precinct Retribution. It's yeah. a sequel to The Precinct, which is a sequel to The Precinct Episode 2 and a half or something. Anyway, uh, we've, we've been making these short films as, as kids for a while now, but um, this was our first like real attempt to kind of do like a more formal production with, you know, you had your boom mics and your screen clappers and everything like that. And um, it's basically a love letter to kind of 80s action movies, buddy cop, action comedies. We also, a parody of The Dark Knight Rises, there's like a significant influence. There's like, some of this movie was stupid, and we need to talk about it. And because this was also the main plot has been thought about for I don't know six or seven years, but after watching The Dark Knight Rises, that's where like the backbone really began to form, and that's where the story was kind of conceived. So when you watch it soon, you might be able to tell the right. I'm in the movie, and I only read my scenes, yeah. so I don't know what is going to happen yeah. once we see the movie. Um, it's basically about like this cop who is a world-weary 26-year-old cop. <laughs> uh, me. Uh, and he's kind of like retired from the force because called on for another job kind of thing. And, you know, that kind of cliche. We, we, we lovingly make fun of this stuff. I mean, we know exactly what we're writing here. Right. Um, and he's kind of going and investigating a resurgence of like an old nemesis who is dead, but you'll find out that he actually had a contingency plan uh, to deal with his enemies and like the guys who killed him, and it's kind of this unraveling mystery of who, like, what's his goal? Like, who are the real bad guys behind it? Uh, it's like fifty-five-ish minutes, so it's not Lawrence of Arabia length. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah. a fourth of it. Um, but I, I was really uh, proud of like what we managed to accomplish with yeah. this movie, and like, there's an element of parody to it too. Like, it's yeah. it's it's a comedy. Yeah. Would you say it's a comedy first and foremost, or would you say it's an action movie first and foremost? If you t- if you talk to my brother, he's beginning to feel like it's like it started off as a comedy, and then we stripped away a lot of the com- comedic elements, and it be- kind of became more of an action thriller movie. Okay. I still feel like it has like a, a bit of more balance than he does. But yeah. That, that's because he also knows that we stripped things out and right. the, the average audience though i don't know i'm really interested to see how they react to it because there is like some stuff that I mean, we can talk about it after you've seen the movie. Yeah, yeah um you know there was like a tone tone's important to a film yeah. and trying trying to maintain a consistent one especially something that kind of deals with serious subject matter like death and revenge killings and stuff like that and and, and some of the per, uh parody elements that we're attempting to do and then do like comedy too and wacky characters. And the thing that like I feel like we were going for with it was that me and one of my best friends and one of your friends, Slade, uh, who plays the other main character, we um, we were kind of like the straight man in this world right. of really crazy people. Yeah, like, like the precinct is full of nut jobs, yeah. except for the main two characters who kind of react against it, and they're like kind of caught in their own little. Noirish, like guilt-ridden, bullcrap, like, right? You know, like, <laughs> like you know, harking back to like you know these tough, tool for this ass like cops, yeah. Um, and they're like involved with these crazy people who are like are just banana pants, crazy town, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so it, balancing that tone is really important. So yeah, it, it's comedy 
and it's also action. And the scenes that kind of deal with mostly the main character, two main characters, are very much like in the loving parody, but we're still kind of playing it straight. Right. But then there's other crazy people in it. Right. Right. And that's the thing is like, I feel like you can't strip away too much of the comedy from that movie because... You know, my scene alone, I, yeah. I don't want to spoil it, but like my scene's over the top. Oh, like, yeah. yeah. You know, the, that character that you guys wrote for me is just crazy. Like, yeah. it's a crazy character. And even your brother's character. Oh, yeah. I mean, my chief, brother plays the chief, right. and he has a fake beard on his face. And we've had people go and ask us, is this a serious movie? And I'm yeah. just like, oh. So I feel like you can't really say, like, it's a movie we've stripped the comedy out of and yeah. then still have the chief in there. Right, Like, yeah. with that crazy-ass Santa beard. Yeah, no. And, like, that's all in loving parody of, like, these kind of grizzled chief characters who yeah. are like, I need your badge back and stuff <laughs> like that. Because, like, those guys are just in every freaking movie ever. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I feel like it's very an even mix. The only thing that I'm concerned about when I show it is... The beginning of the movie does kind of start off like in a somber way. Uh-huh. And we actually filmed an additional scene at the last second to start off the movie to kind of indicate to people like it's a parody. You need to oh, laugh. Okay. You know, and and that, that scene was kind of like cut and it was put back in and it was like yeah. kind of filled around with for a while. Because we need to go and kind of signal to people early on like it's okay to laugh. Or, yeah. You know, um, yeah. And I hope that people will like approach that in the right way. I'm sure that like by midway in the movie – it's firmly entrenched in the, okay, we got it. It's parody now. Yeah. But, like, the first several minutes might be kind of dicey. That's the only thing okay. that I'm worried about personally. Got it. But, I mean, I'm very proud of what we did. I think that, like, if you now understand, if you've been listening to this or if you talk to me or anything, you'll know, like, what to expect. Yeah, I'm really excited uh, for the movie. It's premiering this upcoming Saturday, January 10th, yeah. uh, at a theater in our hometown. Yeah, we managed to go and secure a theater, which is Awesome. Maya's been a great theater change. <laughs> yep, I am getting married at that theater. Um, so I I am really excited to watch something we made, even though I was minimally involved in the creative process of it. Yeah. I'm super excited to watch something we made at, you know, kind of my second home. Like, yeah. That that theater is, is where I spend a lot of time when I'm not working. Mm-hmm. Um, and you put in solid work. Like, to you know your listeners and stuff like that maybe later I, the next thing we will have it online and so mm-hmm. if anyone's ever interested they can check out your performance you know right so is it going to be released digitally or? yeah we need to go and work out the details of it I don't want it being like permanently online uh-huh. digitally like it might be a thing where you make it available for a couple of weeks and take it off and then like a couple months down the line we make it available and take it off got it um just because, you know, I just don't want it being around all the time. Uh-huh. But, um, yeah, we're going to work that out. But it should okay. be up around the same time as the premiere. Okay, actually. great. So, so if you guys want to watch it, um, it'll be available for probably a small fee um, mm-hmm. soon. Yeah, actually, it'll be available for free because we can't make any money off of it. So Oh, well, there you go. It'll be available <laughs> for free soon. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah, I'm excited to see the movie. Yeah. Um, you know, this is something that, it's really funny if you go back and watch the first three you guys made. Like, it's a very obviously high school guys who got a nice camera screwing around. <laughs> and then this fourth one is very obviously college guys who got a really nice camera <laughs> screwing around. Um, but yeah. there's some really good jokes in it. Like, yeah. my, my scene in particular is really the only thing I've seen. Yeah, it's um, good. And it's hilarious. There are some really funny jokes, not just from me because I'm biased. Like, I think that I love that character that I played a yeah. lot. 
Um, but there's some solid jokes all the way around. There's stuff happening in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a scene with a witness that's hilarious. Like, yeah. There's a lot of really good comedy, especially in my scene. So yeah. I'm really looking forward to see what else is in there. Yeah. And then on top of that, you showed me an early cut of one of the action sequences. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing. Oh, it was so good. The um, you know, I, I don't know if it's a climactic gunfight. I think it is. Yeah, it's kind of close to the end. Yeah. So it's, you know, one of the last big set pieces that happened in this movie. Yeah. And you could tell, like, I could tell watching it that, like, oh, this has some weight to it, even though I haven't seen the movie. And it's super well shot. Like, Thanks. you know, something yeah. we've talked about before mm-hmm. and not to, you know beat this dead horse except now to beat this dead horse in front of a podcast listening audience um (laughs) is a lot of action movies are spatially unaware like you don't know where everything's happening and in this scene it's not like that at all like you're very aware of where everything is Mm -hmm. and it looks cool like it's super well shot and well choreographed so i'm really looking forward to seeing that yeah one with special effects Yeah. yeah Well, and you guys only had, like, I think, sound effects at that point mm-hmm. attached to that scene when I saw it. So now there's, like, you know, muzzle flashes and stuff like that, yeah, I think. There's, there's stuff that, like, makes it actually look legit now. So if you were buying into the fantasy before, I'm really happy about that. Because that yeah. scene was always, like, is this going to be really bad if we don't <laughs> nail the special effects right? Like, yeah. this thing could be really terrible. And people aren't going to, they're going to laugh, but not in the way that we intended. Right. And that's sometimes the hard part about comedy or, or doing, like, a... An amateur film in general is like realizing the scene that you made. It was like, oh, this is not having the intended effect. People are laughing at the wrong thing. And that's not to say that people are wrong. It's more like it's on you as a director. Right. And so it's going to be weird for myself watching it, feeling like, oh, I'm putting myself out there. And like, you know, there's kind of like some stuff on your shoulders if people don't get it. Yep. So, yeah, that's why Mike's on the podcast, you guys. Uh, he'll be back next week to talk after Lawrence of Arabia, yep. uh, after we tackle this beast. <laughs> um, and that's it. Do you have anything else? No, I'm just happy to be here, man. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, if you want to contact the show, feel free to do so before and after show at gmail.com. Um, I'd love to hear your feedback. I We think we probably sounded kind of ignorant about in Lawrence of Arabia. <laughs> and I yeah. apologize to anyone who was mad about that. Um, but hopefully this will change uh, from this episode to the next. Yeah, in the next four hours, we're going to become very well acquainted with Lawrence of Arabia. <laughs> yes, very much so. Um, you know, at before and after pod on, on the Twitter tweets. Uh, it's before the letter N after pod. Uh, watch me not tweet. You can follow me to have uh, someone you're following. And uh, until next time, do you want to say it? Bye. Why does does no one know the end of this? Why does no one know the end of this? Go watch something.